Hi, everybody. Welcome to another uh, Tricio Investment Advisors podcast. Um, I'm Jerry Salaya, the Chief Strategist, and today I'm joined by John Cavalier, our Chief Economist, who I've had the pleasure of working with for donkey's years in one way or another, so I think since 1996. So I value his opinion. He's the most rational and upbeat economist that I can ever point to, and he's covered every sort of crisis and banking sort of bad news headline probably since the early 80s. So without any further ado, John, let's talk about the current U.S. and potentially international banking crisis. Is that all right with you? That's great. Thanks, Jerry, for the introduction. Hey, it's all true. So when we first saw Silvergate go bust, and it was only a week ago, that small San Diego-based lender that got caught up in the FTX garbage, he says politely, we all ignored it, right? And we said, crypto bank, fine, whatever. They're not very big. They don't really matter too much in terms of systemic risk. And then we had Silicon Valley Bank Thursday get rattled and basically get taken over by the FDIC on Friday. And then you also had Signature Bank get taken over over the weekend. You had the Fed effectively backstop depositors. It seems to be, no matter who you bank with, creating a moral hazard risk, which I'm sure you'll talk about later. And today we're seeing banks in Europe come under a lot of pressure with a focus on credit suites. So, John, couple of questions here is one banking crisis is this going to get a lot worse before it gets better two is this going to create systemic risk where the whole stock market and everybody has to pay attention to banks again and we go through the you know global financial crisis all over again and three the fed meets next week will this affect their decisions in the near term and over the course of the couple couple of coming months great jerry so those are the three big questions i totally agree Let's, uh, let's start with the big one. Is this another 2008 banking crisis? And my view is no, there are issues here and this is going to roil the markets perhaps just for a few more days, perhaps for a few weeks. But we don't have the same systemic problems and the same vulnerabilities that we had back in 2008. And the main reason for that, or you know, two reasons, one is that the banks are much better capitalized now than before. Even if you uh, mark to market their bond portfolios, which probably uh, reduces capital ratios by a couple of percentage points for most of the big banks, somewhat more for SVB, and that was that was one of the problems. But even if you take that into account, um, capital ratios are, are much higher than before. And the second reason is that the central banks are really on top of this now in a way that took them a while to get to back in 2008. So uh, I was actually quite surprised by how quickly they jumped in and essentially guaranteed everything and came up with the new funding facility last weekend, the, the bank term funding program. So these these things uh, kind of took several weeks or even months to evolve back in 2008, 2009, but the whole approach to, to the crisis. And they've jumped straight in with this, uh, really trying to support the system. So as you say, essentially, depositors are made whole. Uh, are always going to be made whole now, so they're guaranteed effectively in the US and they're always effectively guaranteed in Europe anyway, that's, that's sort of assumed. And also the, the, the sort of cash flow problems of banks having to repay depositors means that they can now borrow under this new funding facility, so they don't have to sell the bonds, so you don't get into that kind of doom loop uh, like we saw back last year in the UK when bonds were selling off because the pension funds had to sell them, so we're not in that doom loop. So I think what we see as of today, and this is obviously moving fast, I think the US situation has been stabilized. And I think attention has now shifted to 
the weakness at Credit Suisse, uh, and perhaps the sort of people are still wondering generally uh, about the, the losses on securities because interest rates have moved up so quickly. That, that seems like a fairly reasonable assessment, John. In terms of, let's say, focusing on the US, right? There is, okay, let, I, I agree with you, this is not gonna be systemic risk, probably, and we're not gonna see the whole you know stock market collapse like we did back in 2008, fine. But there is that moral hazard problem now, right? I mean, you and I have discussed this, and it's probably worth bringing up again. We, we're not we're not blind to the fact that guaranteeing deposits does actually create some risks, correct? Yeah, no, you're right. And if you've guaranteed all deposits all the time, then uh, including, obviously, um, so everything would be insured, including large deposits from firms as well as from uh, wealthy individuals, then what you'd get, of course, is that people would just put their deposits in the bank paying the highest rate. And that bank would probably be taking the highest risks. Um, and it might even be taking short-term risks, it might even be doing fraudulent stuff. Um, and it would just be a way for people to earn a, a high rate uh, and for the management of the bank to, to earn a lot of money quickly and then maybe move on. So you, you're, you're at risk of, of having a, a highly risky banking system. So that's why the, the, the central banks don't do that as routinely. But it seems that if and when there's any kind of trouble, they do jump in and guarantee everything. Now, at this point, of course, people are not taking so much risk because they're more cautious because you've got a crisis going on. So I think that kind of works that um, you, know, you have this system where normally you don't guarantee everything, but as soon as there's trouble, you do. I mean, you could still gain that as a depositor. You could still say, well, I'm sure that, that they will jump in, but it'd be risky to do that with a smaller bank because if it's small enough, they might not do it. So, so that, I think, is, is kind of the system we're with now. That, that's true, because, I mean, I haven't heard anybody say that Silvergate, the small San Diego bank that went bust, or in, voluntarily, it has to be said, nobody's come out and said that, you know, all their, guarantee, all their depositors are guaranteed, right? I'm, right? I'm sure that they will sue if they're not, he says politely, given the American legal system. But, I mean, yes, I agree with everything you said, John, and it's one of those weird things for me, as, as you know, I never really bought into the idea that Silicon Valley Bank was special because of its depositor base or client base, because you go through all sorts of business cycles where commercial banks don't always go under, if you know what I mean. Commercial banks can weather recessions. And in the US in particular, you have a lot of regional and local banks, which people in the UK may not be aware of, but you know, you have credit unions, you have savings and loans, then you have state chartered banks, and you have federally chartered banks and all sorts of stuff. And a lot of these banks, in terms of numbers, not AUM, are locally focused and locally focused for a reason, like uh, credit unions. You have to actually be in that particular business area or you know that industry group to be able to join that credit union. So the idea that a bank would get into huge troubles just because it's got a specific sort of client always seems weird to me. I don't know if you agree with that, John, or not. I'm not sure. I'm not an expert in this field. I mean, what I would say is that, you know, hundreds, sometimes thousands of U.S. banks do go bust uh, on a pretty regular basis. Um, yes. Small banks, um, small regional banks, much smaller than we're talking about with SVB. That was the 15th or 16th largest bank. Correct. Um, yep. So when those small banks go bust, uh, there will be, uh, as I understand it, um, losses for some uninsured depositors. It won't be 100% losses. They'll probably get back 95% of their money, um, but there will be potentially losses and also delays in, in the repayment. They usually get a, a down payment straight away and then they get the rest later on, some months later. And it seems like the regulators are very used to that. Yeah, 
and that kind of thing happens all the time. What was a bit unusual with SVB was that that usually happens overnight, but because they were hemorrhaging deposits so rapidly, they actually yes. intervened in the middle of the day, which is unusual. True. But, okay, so if the US is going to weather the storm, and that, that's our core view, and the Fed, what does that mean for them? Well, I think what the Fed wants to do is to try to separate its sort of management of financial stability from its uh, anti-inflation policy. So that's what this new funding facility was about. It was to basically try to stabilize the situation. And I think it has done that, although, I mean, we obviously can see that bond yields have come down quite a bit. Credit spreads think, have Yeah, risen. the two-year two -year note yield below 4%. Yeah, so that's come down about one percentage point. That's a huge move, and 10 years down as well. If you look at credit spreads, they've risen. Well, a lot of that, I suspect, is, is around some of the banks. I think high yield spreads are up about 100 basis points, and triple uh, B is up about 20 basis points. So there's been a bit of a move there. So that, in a sense, tightens credit conditions. But I would think overall, the Fed is looking at the uh, inflation numbers. We obviously had the CPI yesterday, and um, you know, still quite robust numbers. We discussed this um, a couple of weeks ago, but you know, back uh, when we had the good inflation number back in, I think it was December, December number, it looked as though three and six month inflation was really decelerating compared to the year on year. But that's not really the case anymore. If we look at the last three months or the last six months, we've still got core inflation rising over 5%, whereas it did go down to about 3%, 3 and 4%. So it seems that there's still quite a bit of inflation there. And some of that is shelter. It's the housing component, which we, I would say we know for sure that that will come down later in the year because we know rents growth is decelerating. But even if you take that out, there's still too much inflation there. So, and you look at the retail sales numbers, and although uh, the number today was pretty flat, if you take the last two months together, there's still some robustness there. So, so I think the Fed is, uh, is concerned that growth is still too strong and it still wants to raise rates. I would say that 50 basis points is this meeting, which was a possibility at the beginning of last week, is off the table now. And the debate is whether they move a quarter percent or, or wait for a month, wait for a meeting. I think they'll still move a quarter percent, but it will actually depend on how much the market settle down over the next week or two. I, I agree. I think the Fed has to take the view that a quarter of a percent is not going to make or break anybody. And right. it'll signal to the market that, look, in our view, you guys are selling banks and everything else a bit too hard. And we have the facilities to backstop them or backstop depositors. And we've, we're aware of what's going on. So 25 basis point hike and say some nice words about watching the data and, you know, see, see what happens. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think they I think they're still looking to do not just one, but probably another two or three quarter point increases. So take rates up to five percent, five and a quarter in terms of the bottom uh, of the yeah, rate. Yeah, or maybe even a little bit higher than that, yeah. Um, okay. Um, so, uh, obviously, as you say, it's data dependent, and so they're moving slowly to give themselves more time, because if they move a quarter point every six weeks, um, you know, we, we're basically well into the summer before they would be doing the last of those increases. Correct. Yeah. Um, so that gives them time to see what happens. But, you know, you look at the economic data, and if anything, growth was slow in the middle of, sort of early middle of last year, and may even have picked up a bit since then. So I think that's a, that's a real concern for them. In terms of the rest of the world, John, banks got wobbly all over the place over the last week, right? As the US basically once again led the world in contagion in, in, in terms of credit crisis or sentiment crisis or confidence crisis, if you will. And today the focus has been on Credit Suisse and European banks. But it's one of those things where, you know, if, if US 
concerns were raised around the fact that the Fed raised rates by 450 basis points. Bond markets went down a lot. So therefore, banks may have lost money on their bond holdings. That's one of the narratives. Then obviously, European banks, Swiss banks could have a similar problem, correct? That That's sort of what people have been kind of throwing around. Now, in terms of capitalization, Credit Suisse has been under the focus for the best part of a year and a bit now. And all the ratios seem fine. And yet the share is hitting new all-time lows. Do you think the SNB, the Swiss National Bank, will respond? Do you think European banks in general are going to go through a similar crisis as the US banks did? Yeah, I mean, it's ironic, isn't it, that um, this, this banking crisis, if it is a crisis, is, is being caused by problems in the safest assets, the, the bonds, the government yes. bonds. And the Which banks have bonds. to hold. <laughs> and, yeah, they have to hold, and actually they're holding a lot more than they did. I, I was looking at some numbers this morning. The US banking system now has about $4 trillion worth of uh, treasuries and mortgage packs, whereas in 2005 it had only $1 trillion. Um, so the banks are, are safer because they, in a sense, because and more liquid because they've got this stuff. But because it seems there wasn't sufficient anticipation that yields could rise so much, you know, they've got these mark-to-market losses. Or I should say non-mark-to-market losses. These are, are paper losses. But yeah, you're asking about Europe. So, I mean, the problem for Credit Suisse, as I understand it, is that um, their business model is in difficulties. They're trying to switch away from investment banking towards wealth management. But with the sort of concerns uh, about their health and about uh, maybe they've got a rather weak balance sheet, of course, they're losing some of the, the, the wealth that's there. And why would you keep a deposit uh, at Credit Suisse if they're in this disarray? Why would you even um, want to do private banking there? If, if the and, and I think we're talking about customers who have significantly more in terms of deposits than any sort of guarantee, like you know, 85,000 pounds or $250,000, correct? Um, yeah, you're talking that, wealth management. So, you, yeah, yeah, you're talking millions. This is private banking, and um, most big private banking clients, as you recall from our days at Amex, they'll have accounts with several banks. Uh, yes, and they'll have se- seven-figure numbers at each, six or seven-figure numbers at each bank. And uh, they, they prudently are aware that their banks go through cycles. Yeah. Yeah. But they they may well move money from one bank to another, or, or transact more with another bank if they're more confident and comfortable. You don't want to be busy doing some kind of transaction with Credit Suisse if you think there may be a problem. And there's there's also the sort of background issue that although obviously this these, this bank is very important to Switzerland, it's quite big relative to the Swiss uh, economy. So that raises issues as well. And to what extent can it be guaranteed by the Swiss government? So I think that's, that's lying behind that. I mean, the, more broadly, I would say the European banking system, or at least parts of it, are not as safe and sound as the US system. German banks, Italian banks, uh, these two areas are still, I would say, relatively weak compared to uh, the US banking system. Uh, but the general view on European banks though, John, has been that since obviously the, the 2008 uh, crash, they are not likely to go bust and leave the depositors high and dry. And when we talk about the German banking system, it's, it's good to remind ourselves that there are many tiers in that system, correct? including right. you know effectively state banks or, and it's one of those weird ones where yes we can point to some of the big name banks deutsche commerce right and say whatever we want to say about them but the reality is a lot of what you and i would call the the middle part of the german economy the industrial economy they bank with other banks as well 
and in Italy, I think what they've done there, and Spain as well, I believe, they've been very quick to roll banks into a bigger bank if they come under pressure. Is, is, do you think that'll continue? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. They are, they are much stronger than they were in 2008 and, uh, and in the subsequent years. Europe, of course, had this double-dip recession with the euro crisis. Right, that's right. Pressure yep. on the banks. And, and they have worked through that to an extent. I guess I'm just saying that I don't think they are as strong as the US, but they're much stronger than they used to be. But I think there's also this uh, implicit guarantee you know, from the German government, from the Italian government. I mean, that then sort of makes you a little bit concerned about Italian government debt if, if you start to worry about Italian banks. So there's, there's still that potential doom loop. But, you know, the, I think this all would come to become more of a problem if you had a major recession going on. And if we have weak right. growth in Europe, we don't have a major recession. And bear in mind, if we did have a major recession, bond yields would come down. So those mark-to-market losses wouldn't be sitting there anymore. So I see this as sort of market jitters and something yes. to focus on, but I just don't see this, the same depth of problems that we had uh, back in 2000. That's really good to know. And it's one of those things where I think what we've been telling our clients so far is, you know, be aware of the jitters, be aware of our concerns and go through them. But in general, uh, I believe we're sticking to our guns in that, you know, stocks will remain choppy for the rest of this year, but we're not expecting a huge downturn like we did in 2022. And in terms of bond deals, we still think bonds form part of your portfolio. And when we get to those target levels we've been talking about, 4% in the US 10-year, you know, 5% in the two-year was very attractive, then we would suggest you, you, you probably want to think about, you know, how do you rescale your portfolio? I, I'm not, I don't think either of us wants to say you should be chasing a two-year 3.8 because it might go to 3.6. That's not the sort of market we, we're trying to get to, correct? Correct. And if, if anything, if, if to the extent of these yields go down, you want to be looking at um, taking profits, I would say, potentially. I'm not, I would not try to do it today because there's you know, still plenty of jitters in the market. But there comes a point where you say, wait a minute, the market's getting this wrong. Uh, interest rates are still going up. The economy is going to work through this. Because bear in mind that you know, Main Street, they look at what happens on Wall Street and, uh, and they smile most of the time. They just get on with it. They, they look at their orders, they look at their customers and they carry on. So I, I suspect that um, that this will pass and we will see two-year and 10-year up, back up quite a bit over the next uh, few months. You know, I don't think the anti-inflation fight is done yet. Okay, that's good to know, John. So central banks will take note of the crisis. They may temper their rate hikes in the near term, but they are not going to abandon the rate hike cycle. Is that pretty much it? That's pretty much it, yes, because I don't think what's happening in the banking system is going to really crash the economy on its own. Um, so I think the, the, the central banks still need to tighten to, to make sure that uh, growth slows down. That's what they're trying to do. That's what they're still trying to do. It's not going to happen on its own. So they, they still got more work to do. Now, maybe they're going to be a little bit more cautious. But, you know, perhaps um, you know, they might have done 50 basis points without the issues of the last week or so in, in the Fed. And now they're going to do 25 basis points. But, you know, go forward uh, another seven weeks to the next meeting and uh, I suspect this will be passed and I suspect that they will you know, do another quarter point and so on. John, thanks again for your time. It's been great speaking with you and I hope we do another podcast over the coming weeks. Okay. Thanks, Joey. That's great.